Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. We're in 1 Peter. And if you want to turn there, that's great. Uh, men, don't forget we will be meeting this Wednesday. I hope we have a bunch. Uh, we will talk about some things that we're going to deal with from First Peter. Uh, but uh, we're going to kind of go a different route and deal with a lot of issues that just come up, and we'll flesh out some of those in the weeks ahead. How long will we be in First Peter? I have no idea. I studied Jude for two weeks. Um, I was really wanting to prepare some messages from Jude, but I just kept going to different books and, and praying and reading and asking God. And I got to 1 Peter 4, and I was telling Bob and Terry this morning, I said, I kept backing up a little bit and get another verse and another verse. And I finally wound up at Paul, uh, Paul Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ, the very first verse. And so today we're only going to look at the first two verses. Um, I would say this, and you're going to see it probably today, uh, we will not finish these two verses, not, not like I'd like to today. If you, it, it should make us wonder. You think about all the volumes that have been written on certain parts of history, certain areas of life, uh, law, go to a lawyer's office, he has tons and tons of books on the law and all of that, and yet the most important part of human existence is all in this book right here, one book. How does it fit? Well, when you begin to study it, that's why this book wasn't meant to just be read, it's meant to be studied, and when we study it, wow. You realize that, man, there is so much in each word, and uh, it's pretty incredible. So uh, let's begin our reading in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And I want to do something. Let's stand together as we reverence the reading of God's Word. We may do this while we're here in Peter. Let's read together. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Bithynia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, uh, Pointus, uh, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ, there's our Trinity, and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask you today, God, please give us a word from you. Lord, speak to us as, as, as no one else can, God. And I pray, Father, that you would help us as a church today to realize that you, you sent us a word, Lord. Just like these people here were going through such a difficult time and needed to hear from, from you, Lord. The beloved apostle that they cared so much about was not able to come, but but God, this correspondence miraculously made it to them. Even more miraculously, Lord, it's made it to us. I pray, God, that this word would encourage us, that it would convict us, God, that you would grip our hearts, Lord, as never before. Lord, we know you have something awesome here. So we just ask you as we begin this trek together, that, God, that you would just use it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Somewhere around the year 62, maybe 63 A.D. is the date of this writing. Peter is in Rome when he writes this letter and 
we're not real sure. He doesn't mention Paul in this letter, and we know about this same time that Paul is going to be in Rome some. Uh, he is there in prison. Uh, but we know that Paul got out of prison for a while, and then he was incarcerated again, and that's when he writes the pastoral epistles, and then that's when finally Nero ends his life by beheading him. We think maybe because Peter doesn't mention Paul, and then when Paul writes uh, from there, he doesn't mention Peter. So uh, we think that they were there, but maybe not at exactly the same time. There was a time Paul wasn't, and maybe that's when Peter was. We do know this, that somewhere around 65 or so, Nero had Paul beheaded, and he had Peter crucified. Uh, but Peter is writing to the church that, man, they're going through a tough time. It's, it's, it's not that Roman persecution that we'll read about uh, or that we looked at when we were talking about uh, the seven churches. Uh, he is writing to these five uh, provinces or these five areas. They are in Asia Minor, the same place the seven churches of the Revelation were in which is modern-day Turkey. Uh, it looks like they're kind of in a circle, the, the way they're set up. Because uh, so, so maybe the letter carrier for Peter, because he didn't deliver it himself, maybe he kind of went in a circle around to the, these uh, areas with it. But let's just let me tell you the most important thing to remember. They're going through a hard time. They're not really getting a lot of persecution from Rome yet. Nero, yeah, he's pretty wild, and he does some things. He doesn't like Christians, that's for sure. But it won't be until Domitian will later become emperor that things will really, really get tough for the church. But they're being persecuted by religious people and by others who live around them that think they're a bunch of whack jobs. Really. It's their everyday life. As a matter of fact, the word that he uses in the Greek for them here to talk about you are sojourners or you are aliens, it is a word that means those alongside others. So it means you are in the midst of a group of people that don't have the same values that you have. They, 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 don't, they don't put the same importance on things that you do. They don't care about what you care about. You do not fit in. You are not going to fit in. And beware if you ever start to fit in. Because you shouldn't. You are different than them. He calls them aliens here. That's probably a good translation of the word. It, it would really be like somebody like myself going to an African country like I did when I was in Togo. I think it was pretty obvious to everybody there without me even saying a word that I was not from Togo. That was pretty simple to see. You could just tell I was from a different place. I couldn't do the things they did. I couldn't in, uh, join them in certain things. I could watch them, but I, I was, I was under, I lived under a different set of guidelines. I had a passport in my pocket that said I had an obligation to the rules and laws and regulations of the United States of America. And since I wanted to come back here, I, I, I made sure that I kept up with that. So I'm just saying to you, we are aliens, friend. And I think we're going to see it more and more. Because I see two things that are happening. And it's, it's why I'm so excited about us being in First Peter. There are two things that are happening right now. We're becoming more and more, I'm going to make up a word, alienistic. We're becoming more and more weird. And the world is becoming more and more ungodly. I see something happening in the churches right now. There is a sifting that is going on. And I'm going to tell you the irony about it is, even though that right now uh, some churches are, are in, uh, empty to some degree, you know, we're running about half mass around here right now, but I, I can tell you something. I believe the ones that preach the Word of God, the ones that are going to collect back together those saints that really have been crucified with Christ, I really do believe that there are going to be churches, maybe even this one, whatever God wants is His, He can do it. I, I'm just saying to you, I believe there are churches that, that won't be able to hold them all. And, and it's going to be a different group. 
It's going to be a different group of people. It's not going to be the people that, you know, just uh, they were casual Christians. This world is not going to tolerate casual Christianity anymore. You're going to have to sell out to God. I mean, the heads are going on the chopping blocks, friend, and it's going to get tough, and that business of, of Jesus being a hobby is going to be over, and it won't be long, I promise you. It's moving at a fast pace. We're becoming more and more weird in this country, and it's okay because God has got a word for us. I want us to look at a couple of things quickly uh, just as introduction, and, 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 and I've even outlined the introductory part. So we'll look at the author first of all. We're going to look at the author, and, and we'll start just looking at his character he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter is the only guy in the Bible, person in the Bible that I know of other than Christ, but he's the only human in the Bible that has four names. He is called Bar-Jonah. That's his family name because that means he is the son of John. That's how we would say that. Uh, not in Matthew 16. That's when, you know, the Catholic Church claims that Jesus ordained him as the Pope. Uh, just read the Bible. <laughs> in, first, in the first chapter of John, when Andrew brings Peter uh, to him, if you look at John 1.42, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called, we say Cephas, it would be Kephas for them, which is translated Peter. I bet if you ask people, when was it that Jesus told Peter, you will no longer be Simon, but you will be Peter, I bet you 99% would get it wrong. Because they think, oh yeah, he made him the Pope over there in Matthew 16. I always am tickled about that fact as they go, well, but he called him the rock. Five verses later, he said, get behind me, Satan. So which one of them is he going to be? He's called him both, uh, the, you are the rock, and then he says, get behind me, Satan. And I don't know that either time, I'm not sure what to make of that, but he, uh, be, be, be careful when, when you make assumptions about that passage. I've, I've got a sore leg, I'm sorry. I'm going to sit for some of this today. When, when you lose a limb, little things become complicated, so getting out of the car, you flail around, you get the door unlocked finally, you finally get the seatbelt off, you finally get out, then you crawl on the ground, you get to the house, and then you come up the side of the vinyl. Um, it, it's just weird, but I'm, I'm learning. I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting, getting better at it. But, but I, if you don't mind, I, I might take a seat for a, a little bit here. But, so we got Peter. His Greek name is Peter. That's Petros. It means rock. He also has the name Simon. That is his Hebrew name. Kephas would be his Aramaic name. And Barjona would be his family name. Now, here's what I want to make of this. Peter is just an ignorant old fisherman. And when I say that, I say it with all due respect, but in the book of Acts, it says that the Sanhedrin looked at both him and John and said, we perceive that you guys are agramitos. That means we don't even think that you can read. But that word also can mean that you are just ignorant. You, you, just, you just are not formally educated. But instead of being able to disdain them for it, their preaching and acts was so powerful that the Sanhedrin was saying to them, wow, you guys have no formal education, and man, you are preaching like, like seminary grads. You guys are bringing the word, and they, we don't like it, but, but it's hard to argue with you. We're standing here beside two goofs, and, and, and we know more about the Jewish faith than anybody in the world, and, 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 and boy, they just took them to task. Uh, Peter and John were incredible. One of the, the, the controversies about who wrote Peter is there, the, the Greek in this, this letter is so good. The grammar is so good that a lot of, uh, of scholars have said, there's no way, there's no way that just some dumb fisherman 
uh, from Galilee could have written something so incredible. But you see, when you just look at it from a grammatical standpoint, that's one thing. But when you realize that God is the one that's given him those words, I'm telling you, it's just as big a miracle when this old dumb fisherman and deer hunter from South Carolina stands here and preaches the word. I'm telling you right now, these words don't come from me. They come from God. And so before we decide, well, there's no way that he could have written that. You're right. He could not have written that. There's no way I could preach a sermon. I could stand up here and bore you into absolutely oblivion, but, but none of it would be worth hearing. As a matter of fact, Peter will later say in this book, he says, look, whenever you stand and you stand to preach, he says, you speak as one who is speaking the very utterances of God. Man, that is incredible. You speak like you're speaking. He says, don't forget that. When you talk, you are speaking the very utterances of God. That's that's a powerful word. You remember in Ecclesiastes, the smartest man, wisest man who ever lived warned us, I think in chapter 5, he says, when you go into the house of God, let your words be few. Because he is in heaven and you are on earth. And one of the most important things that I think that we can say, especially to our generation, is God is not like us. He says, my ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, my ways and thoughts are that high above yours. So don't look at me and go, well, I would have never sent a flood to drown every single person on the earth but eight people uh, because I was angry over their sin. Just because you would not do that, don't, don't make you a fool out of yourself by telling people, well, I, I, just, you know, I just don't understand that. I'm not, I'm not sure that's literal. I'm not sure that's really in the Bible. I'm not sure that's something we should believe. It could be a fable. I'm not sure. And then start trying to wax intellectually. Take some advice from the wisest man that ever lived. When you start talking about God, let your words be few. Don't hit him with a lot of, well, you know, the way I see it. I bet he really leans out when we start with that. I want to hear what Mike has to say. Oh, no. He's not like us. Peter is an old, dumb fisherman. And God had used him in an incredible way. An incredible way. His character is calling he said, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. That was a, a sacred office. There are no apostles in the church today. I, I know uh, I, I may get some, some feedback on this, but there, I know there are churches that talk about they have apostles, bishops, and all this kind of stuff. Well, you might have bishops. That's an English word for elder, one of the words we use. But, but when I talk about, well, uh, this is a modern-day apostle or whatever, the apostles were a group of people, a group of men that lived and died and are gone. And they wrote the Word of God. That God through them spoke to the church, and many of them have writings that are in the Word of God. But you go. You, don't, don't take my word for it. Before you get into one of those the way I see it kind of conversations, just go read Origen and read Clement and read uh, Augustine and read all of those who followed these apostles and you will never find one time them considering themselves apostles. They talk about the apostles. They lived, as a matter of fact, Clement lived in Paul's time. He wrote four letters himself to the church at Corinth. Clement did. But never once did he equate anything that he ever said or ever wrote with what the apostles had to say. So why don't we? Someone asked me one time, thought it was a great question. This guy just got saved. He asked questions like, he asked me this. He says, why don't we put Billy Graham's books in the back of the Bible? Why don't we put more stuff in there? Billy Graham's a good guy, and, 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 and he writes really good. And then we could have a Max Lucado Testament, you know? And, and or, or, or we, we could just, it just grow and grow. Why don't we do that? Well, I don't care how, what 
how great these men are, whether it's Spurgeon or, or, or whether it's Billy Graham or who it is. The apostles had a special calling on their life. As a matter of fact, this kind of blows my mind. Do you realize that the only office in the early church that had of Christ after it was apostle? Apostle of Jesus Christ. They didn't have teachers of Jesus Christ. They didn't have deacons of Jesus Christ. They didn't have elders of Jesus Christ. The only title that gets that is apostle of Jesus Christ. He says, I am an apostle. That means I don't go, I'm sent. I don't tell, I'm told. And so what Peter is going to write here is not his opinion. It's not his opportunity to make friends and become popular. He's got to preach the word. He's not here. He, he, is, he is not speaking of himself. He has to preach what God has put on his heart and has told him to preach. So understand that about him. He's an old dumb fisherman with an incredible calling on his life, with miraculous gifting that only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. As a matter of fact, I would even say this to you. When we, one of the things that we have so discounted, and when we need some revival here, this is one of the things I'm praying for right now in my life, in your life, in our church, in other churches. I don't think we have put nearly enough emphasis on the power of the Holy Spirit of God in our churches. Really. And please don't think, oh boy, he must have been watching one of them crazy channels on TV while he's been laid up. No. I've actually watched less than ever. Man, I've been in the Word. I'm telling you, it has been awesome. But I want to tell you one of the things that just God has put on my heart. Let me give you one example and we'll move on. Paul would go to a place. Nobody knew Jesus. Nobody had ever been saved. He'd go to a place. He would tell them about Christ. Usually, first of all, he'd start off going to the synagogue. He'd get in a fight, get thrown out, and then he'd start the church. So about how he did. That's step one. Step two was start the church, and he would, these people would become Christians, and he would, he would uh, maybe baptize some of them or, or, or whatever, but, but they would be brand new believers. He wouldn't stay there at some of these places, but maybe a few weeks at most, and then he would leave, and they kept going. How in the world did that happen? Who preached after he left? They did. They all did. One of the things in the early church is so different than the church today, they didn't hire people to do their preaching. They all shared the gospel. And I know preaching is a gift. I got that. And I know there's some of us that God has given us that gift especially. But you know what? Some of the things that I'm not gifted in, God still expects me to do. Just because I don't have that gift doesn't mean I can look at somebody and say, well, you know, I can't get involved in that because I'm not gifted in that area. I might not be. But God called me to do it. And someone has said, and I believe it with all of my heart, that the crazy thing or the unique thing about evangelism is it makes both sides nervous. The people that are lost are nervous hearing it, and the people that are saved are nervous telling it. But we've got to. We've got to start verbalizing the gospel. We, we've got to leave here today and say, okay, that sermon will be online. I'm going to get it again because it was just so much information. And, and I want to hear it again. And I want to sit down with it. And, and I would really encourage you to do that because there's some things i got to get because God is not sharing these things with us today so we can sit here, listen to them go out the door today and say, man, that's it. yeah, amen, and do nothing. Who preached? Think about that. How do you stay in a place three weeks and leave and a church grows to be incredible? Man, he started a church at Philippi with girls. Yuck. How incredible is that? You ever thought about that? There's a lot of churches. Right now we're without a pastor. Pray for us. You mean the professional dude you hired to do all the stuff that the New Testament says all of you ought to be doing? Yeah, him. <laughs> I'm telling you, we are so far from what this book says. I hope you don't say, well, I'm not. This is kind of weird what he said about that today. Read it. Read the Word of God. It will blow your mind. 
Secondly, let's look at his audience. He says to those who are resident aliens or reside as aliens, scattered, they reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen. The Greek in this is in a little different order. He puts chosen with residing as aliens, which is all one word, who are dispersed or scattered. I want us to look at those three words. Hekletos is the word for chosen. Wow. You know what's incredible about that? He is preaching to Gentiles. You you can go on and read the rest of the book. I'm sure there are Jewish Christians there as well. At least we think so, but, but for the most part, he's going to talk to them. He says, he'll, you can read it. Later on in the book, we're going to get to the verse where he says, you who were not a people, you are a people. That's not Jews. That's Gentiles. Matter of fact, the Jews used to say about Gentiles that they're like snakes. Even if you meet a good one, he needs to be killed. And I, I agree with that. When people tell me, hey, uh, oh, don't kill that snake, that's a good one. There are, not, there are no good ones. They're good when I can see them. I jerk the cabinet door open, that thing jumps out on me. That's not a good one. So I just take care of them right on the spot. That's what the Jews said about the Gentiles. They said God only made Gentiles for fodder to keep hell's fires burning. That's the only reason he made them. That's what the Jews thought of the Gentiles. But Peter writes to them and says, guess what? Just like God chose his people. Out of the world, and you can read in the Old Testament where of all the nations, God chose Israel, and they were the chosen people. He is, Peter is writing to the Gentiles and saying, the same way the Jews were chosen of God, in Jesus Christ you too have been chosen of God. Man, that's so awesome. When Paul writes to the Gentiles in Ephesians, he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Man, when you're dead, there's no need to rush you to the hospital. There's no need to life flight you anywhere. There's no need to hook you up to some machine. There's no need to call in an expert. When you're dead, you're dead. You're hopeless. Paul says you were hopeless because you were not Jews and you had not heard the gospel. But he says now that you've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and you realize now that in Christ you have been chosen by God. And you too are part of the chosen of Jesus Christ. Rejected by the world, we're just going to have to learn to deal with that. Really, we're going to have to, to, to just learn to deal with that. He says they were chosen. He says, secondly, they were sojourners. He uses a word here that means alongside. Power is the first part of the word. You are alongside others. You, and so, so we could translate this as you're like aliens. Sojourner was someone who was in a country that that they, that they didn't, really didn't belong to. As a matter of fact, Abraham, and when we translate the Old Testament into Greek, we use this word here. Abraham, he said to the Hittites, I am not one of you. I'm not from among you. I need some land for a burial spot, but this is not my land, and I'm from out of town, and none of this belongs to me, and, and I have a whole different set of values. I serve a different God. I'm not like you. I'm totally different from you. Uh, it's incredible the difference that, that people ought to see between us and people who are, are not saved. Man, we fit in so well with the world sometimes. And one of the things I'm going to tell you that is going to begin to happen, and I don't think I'll I'll live long enough to see it come to completion, but it's moving faster than I ever thought it would. You are going to see in the next few years, especially in the United States of America, there's going to be a major difference between those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who have been crucified and taken up their cross, and those who are out in the world who care very little at all, if anything at all, about God. You're going to see a big difference. We've got along pretty well so far. that We've had that go-between group. Uh, they're going to finally either have to get in this canoe or that one. they got a foot in both right now. They're either going to have to sell out to God and give themselves totally to Him, or they're going to sell out to the world. And you can already see it. We've seen it in our own church, people that decide, well, 
that preaching's a little hard, or, or well, I, I came and I really didn't like that, and, 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 and well, I don't know, I, I, this, this really bothered me or whatever. Man, I'll tell you something, when Jesus says, come and take up your cross daily and follow me, and man, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, so please, I, I don't know who said what, uh, uh, but I do know that I've, I've heard people say, not in just in this church, but in other churches as well, well, when I don't have to wear a mask, I'll be back. Are you kidding me? We're going to take up the cross of Christ? I don't like wearing this thing. I suffocate in it. My glasses fog up. I can't see, and then I am a mess. When you do all that flailing I was talking about, but you're blind in the midst of it, wow. It's tough. I'm just saying to you, those are crazy ideas that people have, and I'm sorry. I, I, and you know what? I, I don't even go, well, I tell you what, we'll, 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 we'll make some accommodations. I am not doing that anymore. Jesus said, come and take up your cross and die daily and follow me. Why are we having conversations about somebody got your seat? We're going to get to stop having those because those people are going to gravitate on somewhere else. And if you're here and that's your mindset and what I just said made you mad, I'd go ahead and start looking if I were you. Because if you think I'm going to come back next Sunday and apologize, be here and see. It's not going to happen because I'm like Peter. I'm not half the man he was, but I am called to preach what God says and not what will make me the coolest preacher in Rutherford County. That's what I have to do. Well, and then he talks about them being scattered. Diaspora is a word for scattered or dispensed out everywhere. This was a word that was usually just associated with Jews because the Jews got scattered out everywhere. As a matter of fact, they would try to come at Passover and they'd come to Jerusalem. That's why there were so many in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified and many of them stayed 50 days longer and that's why they were there at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The place was crowded but they would come from all over the place but that was their homeland. As a matter of fact, when they built a synagogue they would build it to where when you walked in the door of the synagogue, you were facing Jerusalem. You might be a thousand miles away, but they would make sure that they built every synagogue. They set it, turned it in the right direction. So when you went in to be with the people of God, you would be facing toward Jerusalem. That was their home. That was their city. That was where they wanted to be. But for the time being, they were scattered out in a land where they were scattered. They were strangers. We're strangers here, friend. Someone has said that the world is a bridge from this life to eternity. And the wise man crosses it, but the fool builds his house on it. You know, when you're on a bridge, that's not a place to say, I wouldn't mind living here. I wonder if they'd sell me a parcel. It's a way to get from one place to another. It's not a place to settle down. You get run over there. It's a place to travel. It's a corridor. It's a way to get from this place to that place. And I can tell you, our home is not here on this earth. Don't build your house here. And I don't mean the one like that you live in. But I'm talking about don't drive the stakes in too deep here, friend. This is not our home. We have a home. As a matter of fact, Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. I put that on my tax return this year. Actually, I didn't, but I'd like to. But I'm just saying to you, this is not our home. And and, and I know it might not come in your life. Please hear me when I say this. It might not come in your life that somebody's going to take a sword and try to cut your head off this week. But I can tell you, if this word touches your heart today and you decide, man, I'm I'm ready to get serious, God, I want want to readjust some priorities. I want the year 2021 to be different than any year in my life. I, 
I, I'm telling you, what, what Pastor Mike was talking about today, God, that came from you and it spoke to my heart. And I want to be more for you than I've ever been in my life. I want to take up my cross daily, God. I want to die to some things in my life that just, they might not be sinful, but they take up way too much of my time. God, I, I, I need you to touch my heart in life. You do that and I promise you, they may not back you up to a wall and shoot you yet. That day may come in this country. But you may lose friends. You may have people that just decide it's not comfortable being around you. You might be rejected. You you think about it. What did Jesus say when he came? He said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. And to give my life a ransom for many. I came to die. So I wasn't stunned when people treated me like trash. I created the world, but I wasn't shocked when they didn't welcome me with open arms. I wasn't amazed when there weren't thousands down at the, the, the synagogue. Oh, he's a Messiah. And, and boy, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't surprised. And, but see, that's one of our things. We are surprised. Peter's going to tell us later on in chapter 4. He says, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that you're going through. See, we're surprised about it. If you go to a church and nobody speaks to you, that surprises people now. Well, yeah. Boy, I didn't think they were very friendly. What did you expect when you went there? What if you had gone there going, hey, I already know. They might not be anybody speak to me, but I'm going to speak to them. I didn't come here today to be liked. I didn't come here today to get my favorite seat. I didn't come here today to get my itch scratched. I didn't come here for any of that. Be like Jesus because that's the only way we can have a relationship with God. Jesus says, follow me. Take up your cross and die daily and follow me. That doesn't just mean walk where I walk, but walk like I walk. He left the place where he was large and in charge. He left the place where nobody laid a hand on him. He gave all of that up and came and lived here in this trashy, scummy place. And he suffered and died. Man, that's what following him means. Boy, I'm skipping so much, but we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Verse 2. And this is where I want to close. And don't get carried away about that. But I'm going to tell you something that's so important. In verse 2 he says, All of this was according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That means that before the creation of the earth, That as far as God was concerned, I was already His because He chose me. I know. Before the earth was made. So, then at the cross, as far as Jesus Christ was concerned when He died, at the cross some 2,000 years ago, as far as Jesus was concerned, My sins were paid for. My guilt and shame and my alienation from God was gone, and I had been reconciled to Him through the blood of Jesus Christ. And then February 13, 1980, the Holy Spirit got involved and touched my heart and broke this old boy down like you've never seen in your life. And I got on my knees that night. And I cried out to God because the Spirit of God had touched me in a powerful way. And I cried out to God and and I accepted His invitation of love and forgiveness and realizing you that I would be nothing without Him. And my life has never been the same since. That's an incredible thing. By the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And here is where I wanted us to get today, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. To obey Jesus Christ. 
Later on in this epistle, he's going to talk about those who don't obey the gospel. It's a familiar passage. A lot of you remember You may not, but you will when I say this. He starts out with, if judgment begins at the house of God, what will the end be for those who disobey the gospel? What does it mean to obey the gospel? What does that mean? I found it in several places in Scripture. Don't disobey the gospel. Well, the gospel's command is to take up your cross and to die daily and follow Jesus. And we know what that means. We've had it preached to us thousands of times, a lot of us. But we, under, we understand that that part of it. But there's some of it that I'm not sure we do quite understand. The sanctifying work of the Spirit leads us to obey Jesus Christ. There are people that got saved that didn't change one bit in the world, or they said they got saved and didn't change a bit in the world. I'm going to tell you something. That's not nearly impossible. It is impossible. It's impossible. You meet somebody that's life's not been transformed, I don't care. I don't care what they tell you. I don't care if they got, oh, I got a certificate here from VBS. Yeah, I was eight years old when I went down the aisle and get dig this, prayed the prayer. I prayed the prayer. Man, I, I, I want us to talk about that for a second this, this, this morning. You, you think about this. How does the Holy Spirit sanctify us? Well, when the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, now sanctified means to set apart, Okay. How does it set us apart? Well, it it fills us with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I can tell you right now, this week in the United States of America, this week in particular, if you had love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and, praise God, self-control, you were awesome. You were miraculous. You were set apart. This world didn't have any of those nine things. But we do. So you're telling me you worked at that office for 12 years and they didn't know you were a Christian until you wore that stupid t-shirt? You were filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? You had all of them going on in your life and nobody noticed it until you wore some shirt that said, I love God or whatever. That's incredible. That is impossible is what it is. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. When it fills us with those nine fruit of the Spirit, it will separate us. We won't be anything at all like the rest of the world. That's an incredible thought. And then he says all of this is done by the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Three times in the Old Testament. I, I'm moving quickly here. But three times in the Old Testament they sprinkle blood. Once when lepers were cleansed. Man, that's such a great word in there for us. A leper was considered unclean. He was considered unholy. He was an outcast. He was considered dirty, nasty, sick. Nobody wants to be around him. Nobody would get near him. He had... He was obligated by law to cry out, unclean! If you even got near him, how would you like to have to do that all your life? Moron! Well, what if we start out in the parking lot today and we're about to go by your car and you're going backslid! And we're like, oh, we grabbed the kids. How did we park next to him? He should put up signs. He was obligated by law to do it all his life. They sprinkled blood when they cleansed lepers. The second way that time they sprinkled blood was when Aaron sanctified those who would serve as priests. And the third time they did it was when Moses took the blood from the altar and sprinkled it on the altar and sprinkled it on the people of God and says, you are now in a covenant with Yahweh. 
And when Jesus Christ shed his blood by the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, we are a part of a new covenant through Jesus Christ with Yahweh. Hallelujah. So it's through the sprinkling of blood. You didn't achieve it. Oh, I hope I didn't sound like when I was up here talking about all of them backsliders and, and, and hypocrites and all of that. I, I hope I didn't make you think I couldn't be one. Boy, I can in a heartbeat. I can't accomplish any of this on my own. Boy, if I had to save myself, I'd be just as lost as I could ever be. There's no way in the world that I could ever do it. It's by the sprinkling of blood. But let's close or finish up with obedience to the gospel. I've gotten calls before in the last 40-something years to maybe go see somebody who might not be doing well and could be passing on soon. I've actually had people say to me, and I know what they mean, which may bother me even more, would you go see him, Pastor? I know he doesn't come to our church or whatever, but I don't think he's ever prayed the prayer. Excuse me? Why don't I take some rosary beads? Now, before you get mad at me, I want you to go home and read your Bible. Do you know that other than, other than the publican, the tax collector, who smote himself or stood at a great distance and it says after the Pharisee finished praying or finished thinking he was praying and bragged about how good he was, other than when that tax collector hid himself and, and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That is as close as we come to anybody in the whole New Testament ever praying any kind of prayer to accept Jesus. Let me give you some examples. I, I know it's kind of mind-blowing. I just jotted a few down this morning. Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer. What must I do to be saved? We should stop right there. Okay, that's, that's good to know, is it not? <laughs> that's like, how do we dial 911? You need to know this. How do I, what must I do to be saved? We should hunker down in that passage and look and see what happened to him. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he told them, Paul and Silas told him, you have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he believed it, said... He didn't say, go over here with Silas. Silas, lead him into prayer. You repeat after Silas, but you'll be talking to God. And even though you're just repeating the words, don't talk to Silas. Tell it to Jesus, and you'll be saved. i I, I got to confess to you, I have prayed that prayer with hundreds of people. And I'm not saying that there, that if that's, you, you might be sitting here right now going, well, that's how I, I thought I got saved. I'm saying to you, the prayer didn't save you. The prayer didn't save you. That might have been the way you express your salvation. And I understand we're not facing Jesus like people were when he walked this earth. So if you prayed and asked the Lord to come into your heart and life and to save you, I think that's wonderful. I think it's great. And if that was followed by obedience to the gospel, by taking up your cross and following him, because if you look at the Philippian jailer, he's probably the one that put the stripes on Silas and Paul's backs, and he washed those stripes, and he tried to heal those stripes for them, and had them come into his house. And he loved on those men because his life was changed. I think sometimes the reason a lot of people doubt their salvation, I, I used to all the time. I grew up in church when I was younger. I didn't get out until I was an older teenager, but I grew up in church and I would get saved every once in a while because I, I would feel like maybe I didn't pray the prayer right. And you could get me every time. If you preach one of those sermons that got down to the end and said, if you die before you get home, do you know without a shadow of a doubt that you'd be in the presence of God? You got me. Zzz. I got saved every year at camp. That's why I went. I'd just go to get saved. I got saved at Lookup Lodge down here in Traveler's Rest so many times, I'm telling you. 
You know better than that. But when you put all the confidence in some words that you said, and you've been raised in that tradition that you speak these words and it happens, that sounds almost like a chant, almost like a miracle formula. I want to tell you something. Here's the big deal. However it happened, however you said it, and no two people in the New Testament said it or asked about it or experienced it in the same way, but the ones that did accept Jesus Christ and take up their cross and follow Him, I can give you example after example of however they said it or whatever they did at that, at that point where they were confronted with the gospel, their life was changed. Their life was changed. Oh, I th- let me give you this one. He, in, in Luke 10, there was a lawyer. J- just, just follow what Jesus has to say. There was a lawyer who asked Jesus, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? There we go. Let's, let's, I'd say we ought to highlight that. So what did Jesus tell him? And he said to him, Jesus said to him, What is written? In the law, and how does it read to you? Now, the law couldn't save this guy, and Jesus is about to tell him to do something that he cannot do. But Jesus is making a point. Well, and he answered. The lawyer said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. I can't tell you how many people that really believe in that humanitarian style gospel where, well, the way you go to heaven is you just be good to others. They use this passage. They have ripped it out of context, root and dirt falling off of it. They've ripped it out of context because Jesus is trying to make a point. He's got a lawyer on the ropes here. I wouldn't use this passage if I were you to decide this is how you get saved. You just be nice to your neighbor. Jesus has just told this man to do something that's impossible for him to do. It says in verse 29, but wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You see how that starts? It starts the same way today. You can say, well, I, I know that, that what Preacher Mike said about getting saved is true, but I'm, I'm going to tell you something. That, 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 I'll tell you one thing God wants is us to love people and, 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 and help the poor. You, you're just like this lawyer. You've already started to dither with God about the details. And that's exactly what this lawyer did. And it's exactly what Jesus wanted him to do. Who is my neighbor? And if you're thinking like he was, that my neighbor might be the guy that lives beside me, I got news for you. Jesus tells a story of the good Samaritan and he put some people together that had never met in their life as far as we know. But he said there was one of them that overcame racial barriers and prejudices and all kinds of other foolishness and gave out of what he had, sacrificed his own life, his own possessions, his own time, and himself for someone that he had never even met. And Mr. Lawyer, I'm paraphrasing now, Doc, he said, Mr. Lawyer, I can tell you, you can't do that unless I transform your life. You can't love people. Why we say, it's easy to say, well, we're supposed to love people. What we say we're supposed to. You ever notice that? We're supposed to love people as we love ourselves. We're supposed to love others as we love ourselves. We don't ever say, I love others as I love myself because you already know you don't do it. You already know you don't do it. There's a whole lot of people, man. I can tell you right now, and I'm just, I'm just going to say this and just leave it where it is. There's a whole lot of people I know, man, that I thought they loved everybody until Donald Trump came along. And there's no way they're going to convince me, yeah, I love him like I love myself. Boy, lightning would leave a crater. All I'm saying is, You can't do it on your own. Think about others. What about the bad Samaritan? Have you heard that story? That was a woman. Jesus met her in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, he meets a Samaritan woman at the well. And, of course, they talk. 
And she's talking religion like an out-of-town preacher, and he finally hems her up. He finally looks at her and, and, and says, go home and tell your husband. And boy, then she knows, ooh, he's got me. She said, I don't, I don't, I don't, have, a, don't have a husband. See, that's technically, there's a, there's a word for that, lie, that's it. Technically, she didn't have a husband. Jesus knew it. He said, yeah, oh, I know you don't have one. You're living with a guy now you're not married to. But you have had five. So borrow the church van and go tell all of them and bring them back here. When Jesus was finished with her, he didn't say, I'm going to say a prayer and I want you to repeat after me. When she was confronted with who he was when he looked at her and says, the one about whom you speak is standing here in front of you, lady. When she realized that, does it happen to everybody? She turned around and went back to the village. You know why she was at the well by herself and not with other women? They had already ostracized her. They treated her like trash. They called her a whore and a slut and all of that. And she goes back to this town that she's from, this little town of Sychar. And she says, come meet a man that told me everything I've ever done. And she's like worshiping and excited. But I bet you there were some guys in that town who was like, he knew everything you've done. Yeah. She said, yeah. And those people came out there, and when they saw Jesus, for the first time in Jesus' ministry, somebody looked at him and said, is this, could it be the Savior of the world? First time he's ever called that. And it wasn't by Jews. It was by Samaritans. No prayer prayed. But the obedience was just incredible. Rich young rulers, another one. Some of these got it. Some of them didn't. He came and asked Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus kind of went down the road with him about it. And he says, I've kept all of these commandments. Now, instead of trying to argue with him and say, well, I've got a record, and I know that you broke number two 7,243 times, and Jesus would have known. He just cut to the chase. He says, well, you got to take up your cross and follow me, so let's get started now. Sell all that you have, because he knew. He knew what that boy loved more than anything else. Sell all that you have and give to the poor, and then come and follow me. And he went away sorrowful. Not one of these people did Jesus look at them and say, hey, let's pray a prayer. And you'll have it. Man, I, I hope I've not confused you today, but what I hope I have done has made you think. Because it sure made me think. I, I, I got to tell you, we have misled people. I, I'm not saying by leading them in the prayer we misled them. What I am saying, though, is we have so downplayed what it really means to be born again. So many people. I, I prayed the prayer, preacher. I said these words. We asked people, when did you get saved? Well, I got saved when I was 12, but I sure hadn't lived it. That's a contradiction of Scripture. And you say, well, Pastor Mike, are you living it? No, I fail God. That's why in Luke he says, take up your cross and die daily. Because there's always something trying to get in my way. There's something that I have to die to every day of my life. It is a continual crucifying of the self. But Jesus says, if you want to follow me, and maybe you're sitting here right now going, well, I guess I need to figure out whether I'm saved or not. If that's what you're thinking, wonderful. Now's the time to figure that out. Not one day when he comes and has called his church home and you realize, holy smoke, I am sitting here and I am lost and I had no idea. Why do you think Jesus kept driving that point home with us? 
Why do you think he said so many times that many in the end is going to come and say, we said, Lord, Lord, and all of that, and cast out demons and did miracles and all kind of wonderful works. He did not even argue with them about all of that. He said, depart from me, I never, ever knew you. Now's a good time to say, okay, whatever I prayed, whatever I said, whatever I did, have I taken up my cross? Am I crucifying myself daily and following Jesus? Don't come to me after church and say, preacher, do you think I'm saved? I'll just say no. That way we'll be on the safe side. No, I don't think you're You're lost. Go out in the hall. I lost. I, I, I don't, I, how would I know? I could look at your life. There's a whole lot of people's lives. I, I, I can just tell you the, the fruit is not there. All I'm saying is you take it up with God and say, Lord, I know I prayed some prayer. I can't half remember the words. I felt like I checked a box that day. I've thought about that date. I even went back and looked it up in the Bible that they gave me and all of that, and that brings me some measure of assurance, God. But I don't know. I didn't understand when, when this happened. That like the Ethiopian eunuch who also didn't pray a prayer, but when Philip got done telling him about Jesus Christ, he didn't pray a prayer. He looked at Philip and he said, here's some water right here. Why don't, just, why don't we just stop and you baptize me right now? He didn't look at Philip and go, well, you know, my mother went to a church where they sprinkled. Didn't have that conversation. He said, here's some water. He said, what hinders me from being baptized right now? That's when you know God has changed your life. There's a lot of people in our churches. There are a lot of people, I think their names are probably on the roll of this one that they may not have a real relationship with Christ. We have so carved out a little convenient place for people that, well, they get saved, but their life is not really transformed. We've made a place for you, have we not? We've tried to make you feel welcome, tried to help you fit in. We know that, well, God's never really worked in you, through you, around you, or any of that, but, you know, we always fall back on that old mainstay so we don't have to feel uncomfortable, and we say, well, we're not supposed to judge and all of that. I'm telling you, we never confront people. We should look at people we love and say, I know you say you're saved, but I love you, and I care about you, and I don't see the fruit, and and please forgive me if it's there, and I'm not seeing it, but there's something wrong in your life. You don't care about God. God, you live like a, a hellion. You throw your life away. You do all kinds of crazy things, but you always say, well, I, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm as good as half of them over there. Well, that's, that's probably right because about half of the ones that go to church probably are just as lost as you are. I say you spot on with that. Man, I know today kind of hit like a bomb, but I want you to know. I don't want anybody, I don't want anybody to come to Cornerstone Fellowship for years and sit here and hear these sermons and die lost without Jesus Christ. So, in the weeks and months ahead, we'll get into living this Christian life, walking among those who don't know the Lord reaching them, loving the unlovable. We're going to read about all of that and, and learn about all of that, how to deal with the fiery trials of life. First Peter is going to help us with all of that. But I would say to you before we read another verse, have another sermon, meet another time, I'd say before you even leave this place t- today, make sure that you have taken up your cross. If you haven't, tell God to help you. Don't repeat some mantra. Don't quote a motto. Don't comfort yourself with a certificate. Take up your cross and follow him. Let's pray. Lord, help us, God. We cannot do it without you.
But Lord, you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. But Lord, we're we're sojourning. This is not our home, but it's where we live right now. We're not of this place, but we're in this place. And God, we need your help. Lord, we want to thank you, as tough as it's been, for finally drawing the line clearly, for letting events take place in our world that is finally forcing people who attend church to discover whether or not that's all they do is attend church or do they really genuinely die daily to what they want. Do they have a different set of values? Do they put a different priority on things than the people around them? Or do we fit in quite well? Lord, I pray that you'd help us to look at that line that you've drawn. And I pray for those that don't know you, especially those in church. God, I pray you convict them. And for someone sitting here today, don't let them go home today. And, and, and don't let them just sit there and listen to me pray right now. God, let them talk to you. It just, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just touch them right now and they would cry out to you. God, they would give their life, really give their life to you. Lord, I pray that you help us. In Jesus' precious name we ask. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.